0: If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to First Samuel chapter 18, First Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't own one, there is one in the chair back in front of you, and that's on page 218 in the front section of that Bible. We're going to be looking at primarily our text this morning of First Samuel 18. as we're making our way there and thinking about our passage this morning. Does this particular image bring back a certain movie memory to you? I'll let you look at it for a moment to think about, does that image recall in your mind a particular movie? Well, it's the Rocky movies. I know for some of those who are a bit younger here, they they may not be familiar with the American classic, the Rocky movies, but it is one of the, the great movie series of our time. Uh, the Rocky movies are, are known for a number of things in a number of ways. For, for example, it is an underdog story. You, you've got this guy who's not a boxer, who, who learns to be a professional boxer, who, who rises to the top. It's also a story of where the guy gets the girl. Rocky gets his wife, who he eventually loses in the series, Adrian. And by the way, whenever you talk to Adie Shale, I don't know if this happens to you, but it definitely happens to me. Just in my mind, I hear a little Rocky Balboa voice crying out, Hey, Adrian. In fact, I even learned something funny about this as I was talking with Adie. You would not guess who she's named after. Adrian from the movie Rocky. So next time you see her, throw out a Rocky quote for sure. Rocky's also a story of American patriotism. Right at the end Rocky travels to Russia to box Ivan Drago who killed Apollo Creed and I got to believe when that movie came out the United States Marine Corps saw a surge in recruitment everybody was ready to put down communism but it's also the story of an unlikely friendship Rocky Balboa the underdog makes an unlikely friendship in Apollo Creed his one time rival of course, the series is filled with all kinds of boxing and all those kind of things that I've mentioned before, before. but it is really a story of unlikely friendship. The movie even attempts to go beyond and demonstrate things like race and income inequality. All those things can be overcome to produce a unique and peculiar type of friendship. Throughout the movie series, we see two men who, who the world is trying to pit against each other become the closest of friends through an unlikely match. In many ways, it's what we actually see in the life of the church. Uh, men and women who, who become close friends, who the world, when they, when they look at the people who are here, the, the world would say, those people ought not be so close together. And it's going to be that very concept that we study today in our ongoing summer series, Hope for Fruitful Service, throughout this year's hope for everyday life. We're looking at the passage 2 Peter one five as our springboard passage to, to study the very, very character qualities that, that we're looking for in this hope for fruitful service. I'm not going to turn to 2 Peter, but read it for you instead. For now, this very reason, we're told by Peter, as we're to grow, to apply diligence in your faith, supply, and we've been looking at this summer, these various things, moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. The idea being that that we're to be adding these things, growing in these things as Christians, and and the passage ends with, with a reason, with a why we're to be doing this. For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities, the the things that we've been talking about, the the things that we've been studying this summer, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from former sins. We all here want to be fruitful. Nobody here wants to be blind, short-sighted. Nobody here wants to have said that, that we have forgotten The thing that purified us from our former sins. And so we've been studying this year how do we grow in the list that was mentioned. But to be clear, as we've said it before, we'll say it again, that that we are saved by, by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. It's not grace plus works equals you're saved, it's not Christ plus my deeds equals salvation. It is grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, but what we have been studying is that that saving faith is never alone. Your saving fr- faith in Christ will not just be that, it, it will produce something. And Peter has been talking about the very things that it will produce, and from our list today, we're going to be looking at brotherly kindness. Kindness. Now, now, many of you know that I actually have a, a twin brother. And growing up, we, well, let's just put it this way. My brother and I, we fought like cats and dogs. If he liked something, half the time out of spite, I just li- I liked the other thing. So if you'd have asked me when I was a child, hey, Josh, you just need to put on a little more brotherly kindness, I would have looked at you strangely and said, so you want me to be more annoying towards him? That's not what our text is telling us this morning. It's actually the word Philadelphia, which is just kind of a fun little coincidence for our our Rocky series where the movie takes place. The word means affection for one's fellow believer in Christ, to, to love one's fellow believer. That is the idea. If we're to live as redeemed children of God, we're we're adding moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, and we need to add Philadelphia to the mix. How we've been doing this growing series this summer is we've been looking at this Word, making sure that we understand what it is that Paul is asking us to grow in, and then we've been primarily turning to the Old Testament. To, to look for a character, to look for a narrative that would particularly epitomize what it is that Paul, that Peter is describing here. So last week, for example, we looked at perseverance and, and we looked at the life of Job. Now, there's a lot of reasons to look at the life of Job. One of them is, the book of James says that, that Job is the example of perseverance. We looked at the story of Daniel as an example of moral excellence. And today, as an example of mutual brotherly affection, we're going to be looking at the life of Jonathan and David in First Samuel 18. And what I hope with our time this morning, we're going to see and to study is the growing in the fruit of brotherly kindness. You follow along with me as I read from First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, all the way through verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. Now, it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul. That's David who is speaking to Saul. And if you're just looking at your Bible, this is right after David killed the giant Goliath who was assailing the armies of Israel. And David had just done this, and Saul summons David to speak with him. So after he'd finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David And Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him, that is David, that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang, and they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands, And Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousand, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. So we're looking this morning to add brotherly kindness to, to our growing faith, This morning, what I hope that we'll see are three ways that we can grow and produce the fruit of brotherly kindness. The first one is this, that we would knit our hearts, that we would do this, that we would knit our hearts to brothers and sisters who are seeking the Lord, right? We saw this in the opening verse of our passage, that that is what happened between David and Jonathan. Now, our narrative tells us very little about what was said between David and Saul. It's not recorded. There's a few lines recorded, but much of it is not. i got to believe, like most scholars do, that there was a lot more conversation that happened between the end of chapter 17 and the, the beginning of chapter 18. There's probably questions like, how did you have the courage to do this? Were you afraid at all when you approached the giant? Like, is this the first giant you've killed, or, or do you, is this just like a Tuesday for you? You just go around killing these people for a living. The point being, there was obviously a lot more dialogue that is recorded, and there was something to the answers. There was something to what David was saying when he was talking with Saul that, that spurred Jonathan's heart. When Jonathan heard what was coming out of David's mouth and moved him. Now, Jonathan himself was actually a man of deep trust in the Lord. You, you could look back to 1 Samuel 14, and you could hear the things that are just coming out of his mouth. And what we see then is this movement towards David by Jonathan. He, he takes an incredible step of vulnerability, and that's the movement of those who love the Lord now, our text, if you're obviously reading it, it is describing what is happening, but I also believe that it is arguing this is what ought to happen, meaning we, we ought to knit our hearts together to one another. That, that is the point of Second Peter, and that, and that is the point of us examining this particular text today. We ought to be knitting our hearts together to brothers and sisters who are seeking the Lord. Well, if that's true, then what does that look like? How should it be organized? First is this, that you would knit your heart for those who have a a passion for the name of the Lord. Time prohibits us from just studying the entire life of David and the entire life of Jonathan but it's really clear, and you probably know this, that David has a passion for the Lord, a passion that Jonathan shared, but Saul did not. Notice, for example, in the chapter before, in verse 26, and David spoke to the men who were standing by, saying, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living god you you can feel the indignation in david's voice you can hear the passion for the name of the lord Or when he's facing down the giant, he says this, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. What an accurate prophecy. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The point being, David's actions were not about his own glory. They were about a deep and abiding passion for the name of the Lord. And as we consider knitting our hearts to one another, it it must be done around a, a passion for the name of the Lord. Not around hobbies, not around earthly loves, but a passion for the name of the Lord. We also see that there's a characteristic of humility that shines forth in David and Jonathan's relationship. Now, David was often the most theologically astute person in the room. His focus on God and what would honor the Lord would define who David was. Well, what what happened with David when he would enter a room is that the twin qualities of confidence and humility followed him wherever he went. Notice how often when David, and we'll just look at two passages, describes himself First in verse 32, let no man's heart fail on account of him, your servant. That's David referring to himself. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Or later when Saul is questioning him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethmine." David constantly refers to himself as a servant. He even goes as far to identify with his father. Can we all just agree for a moment that, that if it was you or me who, who'd slain one of those giants, humility would not be the first thing that we would be putting on. We'd be thinking, let's get some t-shirts made, giant slayer. My pride swells at the most mundane completing of a construction project at home, and, and yet David, he puts on humility. You cannot have brotherly kindness if you do not have a humble heart. If you want to grow in your faith, the way that the text talks about, the the way that the text encourages us, then, then we must have brotherly kindness, and we must knit our hearts to one another. But we will not be able to do that without humility. When we walk around thinking that we're amazing No one wants to knit their heart to our heart. You might find folks, if you walk around with pride, you might find folks who want to attach themselves to you. They want to use you and your gifts. But as soon as you trip and fall, you will be left alone. Now, one could ask, why was it that Jonathan and David were brought together and not Saul? There's a number of reasons, but these reasons that we've been talking about, a passion for the name of the Lord, humility, but there's also a strong desire on both of their parts to do God's will. And David is known as a man after God's own heart. We see that description of David in in the Old Testament. We we even see it in the, the New Testament as well. For example, when Paul is giving a sermon at Antioch, he is recounting a significant portion of Israel's history. But but notice how David is described even in that particular sermon in the New Testament. And after this he'd removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. The Lord says, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Notice that a person who is aligned with God's heart wants to do what God says. It's not just an emotional love, although that that emotional aspect of love for the Lord has to be there, right? We've been talking about it, but it also corresponds with obedience to the Lord. Being being a man after God's own heart, David is described as someone who wants to do God's will. David and Jonathan were men who wanted to do the will of the Lord. Now, I'm not arguing that David did that perfectly. In fact, the Bible records more episodes of David's failures than, than any of its major characters. The Bible never attempts to whitewash David. We we get to see him warts and all. But over and over, the Bible does something that it rarely does. It tells us what is the actual internal movement of David's heart. The Bible rarely speaks about the unseen aspect of a particular individual. And here it tells us that there, David is a man after God's own heart. He, he wanted to please the Lord. He wanted to please the Lord in everything that he said and did. Jesus would make that, this desire to do God's will, a key defining aspect of of what this new community that he was creating in his name. Notice what he says here in Matthew 12. Jesus answered them, answered the one who was telling him, and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold, My mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, Jesus says, He is my brother and sister and mother. We're to knit our hearts together with one another in mutual affection, but to do that around a common desire to be pleasing to the Lord. The Bible even warns against knitting our hearts to others who, who don't have this desire. One such warning is in 2 Corinthians 6. Don't be bound together. And some people think about marriage. That, that is one application of this text. But, but it goes beyond marriage. Don't be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness. It might be an opportunity for you, for me, for all of us to ask for a moment, are, are there people in our lives that, that we are knitting our hearts to that, that, that we should not? That it's, it's not around a, a zeal for the name of the Lord. It's not a relationship built on humility. It's not out of a desire to do God's will, but, but it is around other things and other categories we see that this faithful relationship that they had was so powerful and so strong because, because of how they knit their hearts together. Paul would tell Timothy to think about relationships in this way. Now, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And who are you to do that with? With those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. I hope this morning that, that we would consider who are the relationships that we're making with. Who, who are the people that we're, we're knitting our hearts together, that, that first and foremost we would be doing that. We wouldn't be locking ourselves away in isolation, but, but that we would think carefully, who am I knitting my heart to, and around what categories am I doing that? The second thing I think we can see from our text this morning is a call to be faithful. A call to be faithful in our relationships. Everybody here, because you are made in the image and likeness of God, every one of us is built for relationships. But in that relationships, there is a tendency for all of us, from time to time and with certain individuals, to experience challengingness, challengingness when we're in relationships that are hard. When, we're, when they're going through something, we're going through something, or, or we're going through something together that's hard. There is a tendency in all of us just to hit the eject button. We, we've all been there where friends have abandoned us in moments of trial and difficulty. It's my hope and prayer that some of you, while experiencing that, would, would see more and more of the opposite in your life. When you're around individuals and things are hard and difficult, that, that you would experience faithfulness in your relationship. All of us want faithfulness in our relationships, and I think from our text, what we can do is to learn from the covenant of David and Jonathan. We saw it in the text there that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he he loved him as himself. That was the basis, the reason why. And and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and, and he gave it to David with his armor, including his sword, bow, and belt. What did it mean that the king's son was giving his robe and armor and sword to David? It was that Jonathan had recognized... That the Lord was going to raise up David instead of Jonathan. He was going to replace the house of Saul with the house of David. And instead of treating Jonathan, or instead of treating David as enemy, Jonathan enters into a partnership with him. What's often not mentioned in this relationship is that it, Jonathan is significantly older than David. We see that from the text earlier, where, where Jonathan is fighting Philistine garrisons when, when David was just a little boy. Some commentators even believe that the age gap between the two of them would have been 30 years at the making of this covenant. But Jonathan didn't see David as some little young boy who was a, a threat to him and his future. Dave, Jonathan saw David as the one that the Lord was raising up for the, for the glory of the Lord's name. And so Jonathan and David enter into a formal covenant with one another, and it is refer, reaffirmed over and over. And the, the basis for that commitment to each other was, was a love that they had for the Lord. The tie that bonded them together, we're told over and over, is is the Lord is between you and me. The point being that they took this covenant that they entered into, they took this relationship seriously. And because they took it seriously, they could be on mission for what the Lord had in store for them. And if we're to be on mission as a church family, we, we must take the covenant relationship that we have with each other seriously as well. We must take seriously the covenant relationship that we are in. I think the relationship that Jonathan and David had was strong, but I would argue that, that the covenant that believers feel with one another in this very room, if you are a Christian, it ought to even be stronger. Those who know Christ as Lord and Savior, that the relationship that comes from being together, that Christ would say that the cup which is poured out for you, this, this new covenant that is in their blood, this that we experience together should be stronger than David and Jonathan. I appreciate the fact that if you're going to join this church, that you you have to sign a covenant that clearly communicates the expectations of what does it mean to be in this body. I think it's good in this day and age and in ages past that that we would affirm and formally commit to each other to, to want to honor the Lord together. There's so many places in the Scripture that talk about the, the need for this kind of commitment and this kind of love, this kind of sacrifice for each other. For example, in Romans 12, the, the body of believers are told to be devoted to one another in Philadelphia. Give preference to one another in honor. Not, not lagging behind in diligence, but but fervor in spirit serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of saints, practicing hospitality. In fact, you might even remember from our earlier study of First Peter this year, how, how Peter encouraged this love of the brethren to, to look in the church family. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls from a sincere love of the brethren, Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. So, one of the ways that we, we do all that the Lord is calling us to do is, is to take our covenant that we are in with one another seriously to bear with one another in and out of season and to realize that there is something that unites those who call Christ. There is something that unites us that is incredibly powerful and something that the world will never understand. We could also learn from the covenant that Jonathan and David had is to recognize that this, this relationship, it is strengthened in trials and persecution. Our relationship to each other, when when time is hard and difficult, can actually be strengthened. We see it play out in the Jonathan-David relationship again later in the text. Do not be afraid, Jonathan says to David, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. You will be king over Israel, and in a sad, false prediction, I will be next to you. Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horesh while Jonathan went to his house. Saul, at this point in the story, is trying to kill David, and that puts Jonathan in a very difficult position. But he, he chooses David, he chooses to honor the commitment, the covenant that he had made, because David is living for the Lord and his father is not. Jonathan personifies what we see in Proverbs 18, that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The Lord wants each and every one of us to recognize that that brotherly kindness, it can be, it should be, it will be strengthened in the midst of trials and persecution. So it might be a good time to just ask yourself for a moment, are there ways in which you need to grow in your faithfulness, in your relationships with others, especially those who are in this room? Meaning, are you a fair-weather friend? Now, I got to believe no one's going to raise their hand at that comment. But if we were to examine how you treat the relationships that are in your life on a daily, weekly, yearly perspective, is there evidence that you have become that that faithful friend who sticks by through hard times, through trials, through persecution? Or when somebody is going through a hard time, do you become the friend who, who tries to serve who tries to put himself out there, who who tries to speak up for that individual when they're under distress and difficulties. We've all been there when someone has come to our aid, who's come to our rescue. I want to encourage all of us to, to think about for a moment as we put on brotherly kindness. Are there people in your life who the Lord has placed around you for action? to do something and not just to be a passive observer of all that goes on in their life. Another application could be, as you look at the people in this room and the the covenant that you have with brothers and sisters in Christ, do you view serving them through a unique lens? For example, Paul would write at the end of Galatians, do good to all people, especially the household of God. So so when you come to church today and you lift up your voices, do do you look around and see this is my family? These aren't just the people that I go to church with. This is family for me which provides us an opportunity to say two particular things on that. One, there, there are people, and I'm glad for that, who have been coming here for a while and you have not yet said, this is my family. I want to join and make this church home. That's okay. We're, we're glad that you are here. But but at some point, I would encourage you to, to take this passage and take the relationships that are being described seriously And to consider, does God want me to enter into a covenant with those people? But secondly, and we've been talking about those who are in Christ having this unique Philadelphia, this unique relationship with one another, there are people in this room who may not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They they may not be part of that community that is described for anybody here who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, who hasn't trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, I hope that you would see how the text describes the, the beauty of the unique relationships that exist in the church. And that would be at least a motivation to inquire further about Christ, further to know about your, how you can have a relationship with Him and that if you wanted to talk with any of the pastors or anyone at our church about how to come to a saving relationship with Christ, we would drop anything as we look at these relationships and see the essential nature of salvation for brotherly kindness. Thirdly, we see in our text that we should celebrate your brother's growth and to celebrate their blessing so David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servant. It happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang and played and said, Saul is saying his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul became very angry, for the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And so Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Saul initially loved David, but as soon as David got more shine, more attention, more glory, that changed instantly. Instead of thinking in his mind, wow, what a blessing of the Lord that David is. We're we're defeating our enemies. God is working through this young man. Saul starts to look sideways at David. He even begins to devise evil and wicked schemes. How David can be slain by the Philistines. Brotherly kindness rejoices with those who rejoice. It's often been said it's much harder to handle a friend's success than to handle a friend's failure. So in order to do that, to to rejoice at your brother's growth and blessing, we need to be careful to to avoid things like jealousy when when the Lord is blessing other people. We see later in this passage and another one following just the struggle that Saul had. Then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. Or in the next chapter when Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, Saul replied back, Jonathan said to Saul, Do not let the king sin against his servant David since he has not sinned against you. And since his deeds have been very beneficial To you. It's hard not to get jealous when the Lord is blessing those around you. When when your own interpretation of your life is that you have it hard and they have it easy. When you look around and conclude that your friends, they're, they're driving on easy street and you're on the side of the road with flat tires. We're called to avoid jealousy and not allow these things to creep up and to grow into our hearts. Let me give us at least three ways that I think that we can do that, to to avoid jealousy. And the first is this, to, to keep a careful guard over our thoughts, to keep a careful guard over our hearts. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is. So often when a random thought comes to mind, what is your solution? What is your plan in dealing with those invasive, intrusive thoughts? So often we don't have a good plan. We're not keeping a a careful watch over our hearts. And if you're to avoid jealousy, then you must, you must guard your heart at all times. To confess to the Lord and, and, if appropriate, to others when you fail. The Spirit, I believe, if He is inside of you, will be convicting you. When, when, when you see the growth and the blessing that others had, He will be faithful to convict you. But if you are yelling over His voice, that will only lead to your own demise. If you hear the Spirit calling you to repent when you see others succeeding, do it immediately. And thirdly, if you're struggling with jealousy, tell others. Tell your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jealousy is not one of those things that is best fought alone. It's one of those sins that can can warp your mind. It can change the way that you understand the reality, and you will need help. You will need the aid of others in overcoming that. Lastly, then in our text, we're told that we should rejoice. Rejoice in having the same purpose with our brothers and sisters, regardless of what is going on. We're told again from the text we didn't have time to read. David was prospering in all of his ways, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. The Lord was with David like the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was giving things into David's hand. And David's purpose was the Lord was raising him up for God's own glory to honor him. And we see Jonathan and the people of Israel, they they rejoice. They celebrate at what the Lord is doing. In the upper room discourse, before Christ is taken away and crucified, he says this, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, this mutual love for one another, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Beloved, we're told to grow and to add to our faith. And adding to our faith, we're to put on brotherly affection and brotherly kindness, to, to care for the body of believers, the church. I hope and pray that this Sunday, that as you consider where you're at, when you consider your brothers and sisters, that you would take the covenant seriously, that you would be a faithful friend, that you would rejoice in the blessings of others and not grow bitter. And that you would be faithful to ensure I'm knitting my heart to the people here in this congregation around a mutual desire for the Lord and to do his will. All so that we may grow in our faith to be pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I rejoice at the story of Jonathan and David. And there's so much that we can learn from it as the church There's so many ways that we can be growing to become like Christ. And I pray that this people, this body that you have called out here in Lafayette, and that churches even around the world, that there would be something unique, something different, something special about the relationship that is enjoyed among brothers and sisters in Christ. And that there would be a powerful apologetic for your name and that people looking in would see how the church is different. The people who are friends are, shouldn't be friends. People who have deep relationships according to the world standards shouldn't have these kind of relationships, but that they have them because of a mutual love of your Son because he first loved us. Father, as we go from here, help us to love one another with that Philadelphia each and every day. It's in your Son's name we pray these things. Amen.